Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, we've been walking through the book of Exodus. Uh, you're going to be in the book of Exodus in your Bibles again today. And we've been watching the events unfold, and we've been watching God, um, how God deals with His friends, how God deals with uh, people that have chosen to be God's enemies. And um, it's been really interesting, at least for me, uh, to see these things play out, like in history. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, you may have noticed in our messages that there's a lot of stacking all right, so we'll, we'll, we'll tell a truth uh, from the Scripture one week. We'll tell that same truth the next week and then build on it, and then we build on that one for the next week, right? Um, and that's actually a great thing. It's one of, the, uh, one of my favorite things about the narrative portions of the Bible. We get to see these uh, biblical truths flow out through and, and uh, happen in sort of lifetime, like life events, and we get to see them unfold. And I'm, I'm really excited about it um, as we continue to go through here. Pastor James and I have found that we have much more to talk about in the, these passages during the week when we're like prepping with each other than we could ever introduce in, in here. So hopefully you're able to read along um, as we get together each week as well. One of the things that we found has been that God is incredibly consistent as we've gone through these events in the book of Exodus. And you know, God, we say it all the time as Christians, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And indeed, He is. But in this sense, God is absolutely predictable. It may sound strange to you, but think about it. God is always consistent with His loving and righteous and just and holy character. God is always, always, always consistent with Himself. Now, the reason that sounds weird to us is because we are not always consistent, not even with ourselves, are we? Like we waver in our convictions. We, we, we wobble even in our character, do we not? Um, last week, we learned that discontentment leads to grumbling. And we will see this week that there's a third step in that. If we continue to go down that path, we see discontentment leads to grumbling, and grumbling can uh, cause us to begin to accuse God. That's why I've called the title of our time together today, God on Trial. Uh, Pastor James pointed out last week that God tests us or trains us for very good reasons. He's seeking to have us be more grounded in our convictions, right? To be more consistent in our character. So God tests us. He refines us uh, in that way. Uh, the Apostle James in chapter 1 says, "'Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds.'" For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Well, this is often not our attitude uh, when trials come. And this is certainly not going to be the attitude that we see with the Israelites. Um, we saw it last week, man, they continually fall back into disillusionment. And it's going to be on a whole other level this week. This is not the most wonderful time of the year. For the Israelites, it's not the hap, hap, happiest season of all, right? Like they, they're in it. Um, and in the throes of what they're going through, they call into question God's wisdom. And they even question God's character. 
Now, none of us would say out loud things that seem like we're questioning God's character, but we might often think or more frequently feel, even in our own subconscious, in our trial, it's not all just gingerbread and candy canes, right? Like we all can feel a certain way, and we could turn and begin to point the finger at God. So in our passage today, though, we're going to see people do it overtly, like out in the open, intentionally, and we'll see how God responds. And hopefully, in looking at this, we can learn some things about our own situation, learn some things about ourselves, and learn some things about God, ultimately. Let's look in Exodus chapter 17, that's where we are, and we're dealing with the first part of the chapter, verses 1 through 7. It says, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah, that means testing, and Mirabah, which means quarreling, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? We'll stop there uh, for this week. But Moses has uh, begun by kind of continuing to chart the, the path that the Israelites took in their exodus, their leaving of Egypt. Now, by the way, there are three sort of main archaeological sites that are considered candidates for this rock of Horeb. Uh, the one I find most personally compelling, you see on the screen there, it's, a, it's an amazing place called Jabal Alaz, which just means the mountain of, olive, of uh, almonds. And it's in the middle of the desert of Arabia. It's a huge four-story tall rock. Uh, you can see the, the guy down there for size reference. Uh, but it's split right down the middle. has uh, clear signs of very forceful water erosion coming out from between the rock, uh, tons of hardened silt at its base shows evidence of large flows of water streaming down that at that time made a, a, a lake bed there. This is in a place that gets half an inch of rain a year. Uh, pretty amazing. Right beside that place is a place called Jabal Makla, which it means burned mountain. And it's one of the leading candidates for the location of Mount Sinai. Uh, so maybe we can get at all this more as we go through. But the point is, regardless of if, if that's the actual rock of Oreb or if one of the other candidates is, the point is that these are very real, actual, literal, historical accounts. This is a history that we're reading about. And those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yes, they indeed will repeat it. Well, uh, I would add that's especially true when we're talking about our spiritual lives and our relationship with God. If we do not learn from history, we're going to be doomed to repeat that history. So let's go look at verse 1 again. Um, 
It's talking about them camping out where there was no water. Now, this may sound familiar. Didn't we just read about that last week, right? Pastor James was talking about they were at, at a place where they did not have any water to drink. They were a place called Mara, which means bitter, bitter water. And once again, here they are in the wilderness, no water, right? We got, we got literally hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions of people. There's no water, right, in the middle of the wilderness. And on purpose, for their good, God has led them here, right? God has led them to a place or from a place of provision. Remember, there's one time they had it really great in Egypt, right? And they've been grumbling, say, hey, let us go back. God has led them away from that place of provision and now has put them in the place where there's nothing. There's not even anything to drink. And Rephidim, where they are, means resting place. We want to find out this is also a testing place, right? God has meant for them to rest in Him during this test, right? Find their sustenance in Him, their peace in Him, their strength in Him, even their, their, their food from Him in, in these, these types of situations. But instead, like they did last time, they did not rest in God. They did not wait on His provision. Rather, they grumbled and complained. In verse 2, it says, Therefore they quarreled with Moses, right? Give us water to drink. Moses said, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord. Now, this is the fourth time that we've read about uh, people grumbling. In each of the previous three chapters, we've seen them grumbling and grumbling and grumbling, right? Um, and once again, they, they found fault with Moses. But not only were they grumbling here, they quarreled with Moses. This is a different word. This, what has been kind of like a, what was an internal grumbling, or maybe they were talking with each other, man, Moses is an idiot. What's he doing with us out here? And you know, whatever, things like that. If you've ever been in leadership, you know how, how that can go. If you've led a family, if you've anything, you know how that can work. But here, this grumbling is turning to an altercation. They quarreled with Moses. So things are getting really serious. They're beginning to revolt against Moses' authority. And Moses had told them back in chapter 16, again from last week, that when they grumbled in that way, they weren't actually grumbling against Moses. They were grumbling against the Lord, right? Um, Because let's think this through. Moses was the Lord's servant, was he not? He was divinely appointed by God, attested to by God through some crazy miracle things, miraculous things in Egypt. And even here in the wilderness, God has literally rained like crazy bread from the air. Like it just just formed on the ground or or however. They would wake up in the morning there, it was like dew. Um, And consider God's providence in their circumstances. Uh, Remember, wasn't it God who brought them to this place? What does it say? Look at verse 1 again. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. How? What does it say? According to the commandment of the Lord. It is the Lord that is put in them. And this is, so this is why Moses says to them explicitly at the end of verse 2, why do you test the Lord, right? What they were really doing was putting God to the test. If you're a note taker, you may want to see that this is confirmed in Psalm 95, where it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test. And put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. So pause and think about that for a minute. Um, why did God send them in this direction? 
Out in the wilderness. Why did he do it? Well, he, he told us earlier it was so that they didn't get tempted and go back, right? He did not say, hey, this is where all the water is. Go that way. Had God ever said that to them? No. He did not say that. What he had said is, go this way. I'm setting you free, and I'm going to provide a land for you. And most importantly, he had said that he would go with them, right? He would go not only with them, but before them. He'd go ahead and be with them. But instead of looking to the Lord, they looked at their circumstance, and they began to question the Lord. Now, have any of you begun to question the Lord besides me? Anybody besides me in here? Find yourself in a place where you're like, Lord, I, man, I don't, I don't know what you're doing. I don't get it. Like, I really don't get it. Um, well, Pastor James taught us last week about contentment, and it very much applies here. I, I, um, I read one of the sermons I read in preparation for today, put it this way. He says, this is something else we have seen before. All our dissatisfaction shows that we are disappointed with God. To put it another, listen to this, to put it another way, complaints go straight to the top where God rules the universe by his sovereign power. Whatever the reason for our discontent, what it really shows is that we are not satisfied with what God has given us. This is a great sin. Uh, and I think he's right. That's convicting to me. Uh, to, to read that. So, but Moses had not led the Israelites into Rephidim because that's where all the water was. Moses had led the Israelites into Rephidim because that's where God told him to lead the Israelites, right? This is, this is God's plan. Um, and th- again, think about it. Since God said that he would be, go before them in the uh, pillar of cloud by day or fire by night, God would be in Rephidim before they were. And if they wanted to be with God, guess where they better be? Rephidim. Right, this is where God's presence is. Um, so I want to pause here, kind of illustrate or reiterate an application that, that we've noted before. You know, um, we tend to think our life, or we want to pursue a life that includes minimum pain and maximum pleasure. Think about that for a minute. It, most of our life is or, oriented around, I want as little, bit, as little pain as I could possibly go through, and I want to experience the maximum amount of pleasure. Um, that, that's possible for me. And so then we can assume then that if God is with us, then we would be experiencing for that, like uh, that kind of thing. If he has something for us, then that thing will look exactly like we think that thing should look. Right, because we have in our, an idea in our minds that life is supposed to be about maximum pleasure, minimal pain. This reminds me of the, the situation with Abraham and Lot back in Genesis, in our study of Genesis, where those guys were about to split up and go their own separate ways, right? And what did Lot choose? Lot chose that which looked the best to his eyes, right? Even though Lot knew that that thing that looked so great to his eyes was the closest place to the enemies of God. And that led to Lot's downfall, did it not? Yet God blessed Abraham, who just sat back and trusted God, right? And he ended up exactly where God wanted him to be. He he chose to trust God instead of uh, kind of the desires of his fleshly eyes, what was appetizing to him. He He just trusted God. Now, how that applies in your own life, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I have a guess that you might know. 
right? I know that the Lord knows. And so let me, let me give you a little piece of homework. I, I believe that if we honestly ask God to show us, reveal to us where we might be missing out or missing things in life because we're not thinking through them properly, that he will show us. I do believe that. Uh, let me, so the little piece of homework that I think will, will yield a lot of fruit, you can begin right now, but continue, continue it this week. Humbly sit before the Lord and, and ask God to show you where you may be missing things by assessing your situation according to your own standards. Right? Again, those standards are usually oriented around maximum uh, pleasure and minimal pain. Right? God, where, what, where am I assessing my life by my standards and without a proper view of you and what you might be doing in my life and your plan for my life? By the way, God's plan is not primarily for our happiness. It is for our holiness. Right? Most people are not on a, a, a truth quest in life, uh, says Frank Turek. Right? Most people are on a happiness quest. Right? But what we don't realize is that the real truth leads to ultimate happiness, right? That's where, that's where we miss it. So then um, they accused Moses of causing them harm in verse 3. They were thirsting for water, and they said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Well, that sounds a little dramatic, doesn't it, right? You, you try to get, well, think about it. There's no water, right? There's no water. But in doing so, in, in uh accusing Moses of causing their harm. Uh, remember, Moses is following orders here. He's doing what God told him to do. So really, they're accusing God of causing them harm. I mean, you would think that... I mean, we've, we've been reading these events, have we not? Like, we've seen God provide over and over. and They could have been killed a thousand times by now. God has provided. God has provided. God has led them. You would think that they wouldn't be doubting God so much. You would think, unless we turn the mirror that is God's word upon our own hearts, and then maybe it's not suddenly so ridiculous anymore, is it? Because we too have seen God provide him. Who gave you your last breath just now while you're sitting here? God did. Who designed your heart to keep beating? God did. Right? Yet we doubt God's provision. Who made the sun arise this morning? The scripture teaches that Jesus holds all things together. Right? In other words, if, if he chose not to, atoms would fly apart. Right? Things would disintegrate. Yeah, here we are. God is providing. God is providing. God is providing. So you would think um, that the Israelites would learn. You would think that we learn, but we don't learn very well. Uh, there's an old saying uh, here in the South that um, there's, there ain't no education in the second kick of a mule. There's no education, hear it again, in the second kick of a mule. In other words, you shouldn't have to be kicked twice by something you should have learned from the first time. Right? You follow me? Anybody been kicked twice besides me? Right? Like, right? I, 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 metaphor, like if you could see my soul, I'm like black and blue from being kicked by the same thing multiple times. Um, but so we all want to avoid the kick of the old mule of stupid. Do we not? Like, we, we want to avoid that. And the best way is to not be kicked the first time. Learn from somebody else's mistake. If only there was a way for us to learn from somebody else's mistake. If we could look back in history and say, God wrote a book. Do you guys know that? God wrote a book, and this book is full of the mistakes of other people. 
right? This is awesome. This is great news because we see God dealing with the mistakes of other people. We don't have to repeat them, right? We don't have to. We, we, we can if we want to, but we don't have to. So let's learn from the mistakes of others, shall we? Let's, let's keep going. I want to dissect kind of what's been going on in the passage so far and, and make some ready uh, applications. The uh, commentaries and uh, messages that I read leading up, up uh, for today, uh, prep for today, kind of all, not all, but mostly made three observations. And so these aren't going to be new to me, um, but I, they're right, I believe. And I'm going to call them dangers to avoid. I think there are three dangers to avoid. Um, I think they're readily applicable to us. The first danger that we see in this passage that we need to avoid is demanding God's provision. We need to avoid the danger of demanding God's provision. Not asking for it or waiting for it, but insisting on it. Right? This is what they did with Moses. They ran up to Moses as the text said, give, them, uh, give us water to drink. Right? So they were telling God that he had to give them what they wanted. Um, you know, there's a really uh, dangerous false teaching that, for, man, we try to stamp it out in the church, but uh, in the church at large, it, it raises its head all the time. Uh, but that it wouldn't come out and say it, but implies that if we uh, do certain things, then God has an obligation to meet our demands. Uh, It works out in practical terms like uh, incorrectly seeing God as being, again, primarily about our happiness, however we define our happiness, rather than our holiness. Uh, To give give an illustration, there's an R&B singer that was really uh, popular when I was coming up named Mary J. Blige. Some of you may know uh, Mary J. Blige. But she said one time, she said, my God is a God who wants me to have things. He wants me to bling. He wants me to be the hottest thing on the block. I don't know what kind of God the rest of y'all are serving, but the God I serve says, Mary, you need to be the hottest thing this year, and I'm going to make sure you're doing that. You know, um, Pastor James mentioned this in passing last week, but I want to camp out here on this, this uh, mentality just a little bit because knowingly or unknowingly, a lot of uh, church members, uh, I'm, not, I'm not like pointing out anybody, but church members of, of the body of Christ at large, um, man, we've come to see uh, faith as like this powerful thing that has this, it's like a force, right? And so through it, we can obtain anything we want, health and wealth and uh, any form of success. So, so faith is like a, a, a power um, that is the source of our blessings. But I want you to catch a really subtle but dangerous, mistaken doctrine there. If our faith is the creative force that brings those blessings into our lives, then are we not putting ourselves in the place of being the source of our own blessings? Think about that for a minute. Does it not imply that we are the creator of our own blessings? That somehow the power of our faith or the words that we speak or the positive vibes that we put out into the universe makes the universe give us those things? And in this sense, the universe is, is a, uh, an analog for God, right, in this mindset. Now, to be sure, we are to have faith in God, right? The Bible says we can't please God without it, right? We got to have faith in God. However, this, this type of, um, this particular brand of abundance slash victorious, uh, whatever you want to describe it, teaching is not practically, on a practical level, faith in God. It's faith in faith. 
Although most people would say they're trusting God, what they're actually trusting is their faith because faith is the power, not God, on that view. So let this put, let's put this on a practical level and see how it applies in our passage right, and in our lives. This type of faith in faith where we can make demands of God would imply then that God would never put us in a place of hardship, would he? He would never put us in a desert place where there is no water, would he? Right, because you would think God wouldn't want us to suffer in any way, would he? I mean, because we don't want to suffer in any way, right? And surely God wants at least for us what we want for ourselves, doesn't he? No. No, he doesn't. Um, I mean, are we honestly to think that we know what's best for ourselves? Are we honestly, do you know what's best for yourself all the time? We, we, we know. We know that you don't. We know that I don't. Do we honestly deny the fact that we usually grow the most when things are hard? Do we not? Now, if you've lived, you lived through some things, you know. We usually grow the most when things are difficult. Now, we shouldn't ask for hardship. Okay, now, we, we should not ask for hardship. However, if like the children of Israel in this, in this situation, if we are in hardship, listen, there, there's a lot of qualifications here. If, it's a big if, if we are in hardship because we are where the Lord wants us to be, doing what the Lord wants us to do, then we have to know that at that particular time, that hardship is something that God wants to use in our lives for our good. It is the best place we can be. The best place for you to be, the best place for me to be, is where God wants us to be doing what God wants us to do. Is it not? Is that not where the children of Israel were right now? They were there, verse 1, according to God's directives of Moses. Moses sent the people this way. Well, that led to hardship. Well, God can't be in that. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And this is a place of testing. This is a place of refining. Um, The the truth is that um, God is not bound by our demands. And that's a great thing. We should be really really glad. Uh, Paraphrase a quote I saw recently. If God somehow gave me all his power, there's so many things I would do differently than God does. But if he gave me his wisdom also, I know I wouldn't change anything. You know, Pastor Tim Keller, y'all pray for Tim Keller. He's got uh, stage four pancreatic cancer. And he would still affirm this quote from himself that I'm about to tell you. Pastor Pastor Keller says that as followers of Jesus, we can know and be sure that God answers our prayers exactly how we would want him to if we knew everything that he knows. Let me read it again. As followers of Jesus, we can be sure that God answers our prayers exactly how we would want him to if we knew everything that he knows. Do you realize that God knows and wants better for you than you know and want for yourself. And it's so true. It's so true. Well, that's the, that's the first danger of demanding God's provision. The second thing I want us to avoid is the danger of denying God's protection. Again, this is verse 3. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Uh, again, their words are kind of directed at God's prophet. But their motives are directed at God's motives, right? They're attacking the Lord here. They're accusing him 
of harming them. They're saying that God is not good. Think about that for, for just a minute. And again, we may never say it out loud, but we may look around and, and, and question the same thing. You know, if we're not careful, we can let our uh, percep- perception on the situation make us trust our own voice or even the voice of the enemy, the voice of the deceiver rather than the voice of God. I'll tell you a quick story. I had a you guys ever see the first Toy Story movie? Anybody ever seen it? You know the character Sid? Sid was basically my cousin, okay? Like, so, and this, and this guy, my cousin, babysat me. My mom uh, was a single mom, and she was working like three jobs at the time. And, and my cousin, we'll call him Sid, uh, uh, babysat me, and I had a loose tooth, okay? And so you guys know what a loose tooth, kids do not want to, pull the loose tooth, right? You can, you can breathe and a tooth be so loose, it just, when you breathe, right? I'm not pulling it. So my cousin told me, Sid, told me, he said, look, Terry, um, when your mom comes to pick you up today, she's pulling that tooth. I said, no, she's not. He said, oh, yeah, and you know why? Because she's worked it out with a tooth fairy that she's getting the money for your tooth, not you. I was terrified. And so what do you think I did when my mom came to pick me up? I ran and hid. I ran and hid from my mother. And here's the craziest thing. My mom had demonstrated for me over and over and over and over. She, uh, uh, earthly speaking, was the source of my blessings. She was currently working three jobs. I had seen this woman go without food so I could eat. Yet, in my situation, in my fear, I listened to the, de- the voice of the deceiver, my cousin Sid. Right? Right? My eyes had grown darkened to the source of my blessing, to my provider, because I had listened to the deceiver. Well, the question is, um, whose voice is trustworthy? We need to trust the voice of the one who's proven his love for us by dying for our sins in our place, pay the debt that we owed, even death on the cross. Uh, Write this down, uh, seal it on your hearts. Our situation should not determine our theology. Rather, our theology, what we believe about God, should interpret our situation. Man, that's a powerful truth if we can get a hold of it and live by it. Well, we're running out of time. Let me move to uh, point three here. The third danger I want us to avoid is in verse seven. It says, They said, is the Lord among us or not? This is the danger of doubting God's presence. Again, these are uh, maybe millions of people out in the middle of the desert. There's no water. It's a place that gets half an inch of water a year. Um, And those, you know, if we're aware of our own inclinations, we may realize, we, we, we may ask the same thing as well if we're in that situation. Where's the Lord in all this? Right? Um, I've been there. Maybe you have too. But again, as we've learned previously, when we remember what God has done, we remember who God is, and that keeps us from despair. Now, on a human level, this is understandable for them to feel that way, man. Uh, it's a very natural emotional reaction from uh, dying of thirst uh, when uh, you're out in the desert, but their emotions did not reflect the truth, right? I'll give you a last illustration here. Those of you who um, have heard me too much, uh, know that I like to give an illustration of, if you think of life as a, as a train, right, then our emotions must be the caboose of the train. They can never be the engine of the train. 
Our emotions make wonderful servants. They make terrible masters. Right? When we are led astray by them, they're so easily manipulated, we must fall back to the truth is, to the truth of who God is. Is God had preserved these people through Joseph. God had made a very strong and numerous people of them through Joseph's leadership in Egypt. God had even done miraculous signs and wonders and delivered them from Pharaoh. God had provided water. God had given them food. So where was God? He was with them. He was with them. They had lost sight of it. He was with them and he was for them. We forget that. We forget who God is and what he's done. We began to put him on trial. Um. They bring these accusations against God. And then God says, "Um, I will stand with you, Moses. Moses, they're putting me on trial, Moses. I am with you. I am for you, Moses. And we don't know what that looked like. Uh, If God stood there in the pillar of cloud, if God was there by fire, if God stood there uh, invisibly, there are passages in the New Testament that make us think that this could have been a visitation of God the Son before he was born on the earth. However it looked, the point was God stands in place. And this is an amazing thing. God subjected himself to their questioning. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to provide water yet again. He doesn't blast them. But their questioning um, is important. The, the why we ask the questions is important. Are you, do you have questions for God? Do you have questions about God's faithfulness in your life right now? It's okay if you do. God's not afraid of our questions, I promise. He, he, like with the prophet Isaiah, God invited him, come let us reason together. Though your sins may be red as scarlet, they can be made white as snow. Right? God's not afraid of your questions. But why are you asking? Are you asking in order to run? Hoping to find that he's not trustworthy? Are you asking and hoping to, to, to follow him and find life? And if you have questions about God, I'd love to, to walk through, with them through you, with you through them, right? Let's get coffee together. Let's talk about it. Let's lean in to our questions. Let's not be always seeking, never finding. God is there. He wants to be known. There's a lot more to be said, but uh, I won't say it. God's job, if you will, that he's given himself is to be consistent with himself. He always provides. He always provides what's best for us. He's always faithful. You know what our job is? To do the opposite of what the Israelites did. We need to just stand back and say, you know what? My judgment of God is that he's faithful is that I don't have the right to judge God. He's God, I'm not, but he's faithful. I got thousands of years of history in this Bible. God's faithful. I got history in my own life. God's faithful. I got history in the life of so many others. God is faithful. So I just encourage you, man, um, lean into the Lord. Learn from the lessons of others. And, um, and find life, man, find life. This, this is not the happiest season for everybody. Right? This is not, not always the most wonderful time of the year. God's with you in it. He's faithful. He wants to use this for your good and his glory.